Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys. I should have started with this. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Corey. I'm the lead pastor here at Third Street Community Church, and it's my honor and privilege to be bringing the word this morning. If you are just now catching on with us, if you're just now uh, kind of getting used to, to, to a third street, to everything that it's about, to what's going on, let me shamelessly plug and say that you're coming at a good time. You're coming at a really, really good time. This summer has been wild. I mean that in the good definition. This summer has been incredible. This summer, we've dedicated our teaching times to spending some time at the internal look at our church, at our congregation, and how we can build each other up to be more aptly ready for the mission that God has waiting for us outside of these doors when we meet. We began the summer taking six full weeks to do an in-depth study of the Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity. And we had, a, we had a whole lot of voices that, that lend their God-given perspective to that series. If you missed it, it was incredible. You can go back and listen to it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just thir- search Third Street Community Church. But it was a blessing. It was amazing. And then for the last four weeks, we've been in this series called Devoted, which is this idea of like, okay, if I want to be sold out to this idea of Christianity, if I want my faith to actually have more impact other than this one little box in my closet— What does that actually look like? What are the elements, the things that I'm devoting myself to that actually allow me to reflect a life that is is spirit-led and spirit-filled? What does life in the spirit really look like? And now we end our summer with just quick, it's a quick series, just three weeks. We end our our summer with this series called If I Were a Missionary. If I Were a Missionary. Now, allow me for just a moment to preface this entire series. I need you to hear this, and I need you to hear this clearly. This series is not meant to be a critique of missions, missionaries, or mission trips. As a matter of fact, anything that you may hear from this point forward as a, as a misconstrued, twisted, negative version of what I said, you know how the devil does. He takes things that are true and he twists them up and he tries to make them sound negative. Anything that you hear from this point forward that may sound like a negative view of these things coming from my mouth, I need you to know that that is from the devil. We're rebuking that in Jesus' name and that's not what we're doing. What we are doing, this The intent of this series is to be a reminder, or maybe for the very first time, informative of what it means to live a life dedicated to Christ's mission. That's what we're doing here. It is our hope for this series that we will all come away with a missionary mentality when it comes to carrying out the plan that God has for our life. Now, I was first introduced to this term missionary when I was probably like about middle school, right? Somewhere in there. It was when, it was when uh, my father began taking these international trips to, to third world countries. And then eventually he, he began working for an organization whose, whose sole focus was global missions. And then eventually he started one of his own. And during that time, I never really knew how to describe what my dad did. And the kids at school, when I would say missionary, what they had heard was mercenary, and they all felt sorry for me. 
have your neighbor explain that to you on the way home. I never really knew how to like capture it in a sentence. And even though I grew up, so to speak, around this, I would say I never really understood what it even meant to be a missionary until I was about 20 years old and I began intently studying the life of Jesus. It was the life of Jesus that taught me that, taught me that, that this idea of being a missionary has been misconstrued and has all types of different connotations in our modern American culture. Some people in this room, when I say missionary, we might think of a white dude wearing a bucket hat and going somewhere uh, in the continent of Africa with a backpack and a Bible, only to return with a sunburn and a photo album. We may think of going somewhere crazy where the language is different or we can't drink the water. We might assume that a missionary is more of the seven to ten day trip variety rather than a lifestyle change or a lifelong commitment. And those things are fine, but very rarely do we think of ourselves as missionaries in our everyday life. Missionary in our connotation, in our culture, for a lot of us, sounds like an event. It sounds like something you temporarily become over summer when you have some time off. We don't actually think of it as something that we are sent by God every day of our lives in every situation that we find ourselves in. I'd like to put this on the screen. A missionary, simply the definition thereof, is simply one who is sent on a mission. Can we just say that real quick? A missionary is just one who is sent on a mission. For the next three weeks, we're going to put ourselves in that frame of mind. We're going to ask ourselves three questions, one each week, that will hopefully get us thinking along the lines of us being sent to our current surroundings. This week, I want to focus on the question, if I were a missionary, who would I serve? If I were a missionary, who would I serve? Our passage this this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke. It's Jesus' own words, which means it's about to be crazy dope. You can turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you have your physical Bibles, it's uh, in the New Testament. It's, let's see, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book of the New Testament. It's what's called a gospel because it's an account of Jesus' life. And we're going to go to the fourth chapter. You're going to find yourself in the big number four. And go ahead and roam your eyes down to the little number 16 that is in your book. If you do not have your Bible and you're not confident in your ability to fight off the temptation of the devil, to stay off Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and anything else, else, go ahead and look your eyes up on this screen. We have it already for you. This is the gospel of Luke. This is chapter four, and we're going to start our time in verse 16. This is our whole passage for today. Here we go. When he, meaning Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. There are three things that I hope we get out of this text this morning. The first of which is this. Jesus is the sent Messiah. We got to start there. We have to. It's really important. What we read in this text is Jesus rolling up to his hometown where he was born, where he's from. The people who knew him when he was just a wee little boy. He rolls up into his hometown, goes to the hometown synagogue, a place that he would have been familiar with, a place where people would have been familiar with him. He says, excuse me, can I read something? Something that would have been normal to happen in the synagogue. He grabs the scrolls because, you know, back then we didn't have a Bible app, you know what I'm saying? So we had to, we had to get out the papyrus, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we had to get out the, the, the long scroll that goes like this. You ain't never seen it? Google it later. But he had to get out the scroll like this. He gets a scroll that says Isaiah. It's one that, that, that Isaiah had written a long time ago. And he goes to the 61st chapter. See, this quote is found in Isaiah chapter 61. That's all he's reading. And even though he was quoting scripture, what Jesus was actually alluding to, imagine this, in front of his hometown crowd, what he's actually alluding to is that this passage that you have often read from Isaiah 61 is talking about me. He says, I am that sent Messiah that you understand is speaking all the way back in Isaiah 61. Well, how's that possible? Boy, I saw you the day you were born. How's that possible? That something that was written, he's like, it is. It's me. As a matter of fact, in the, in the section right after where we stopped reading, he explicitly says, hey, this has been fulfilled this day. What's standing in front of you right now this day, in front of you, in front of your hands and your eyes, what you can taste, touch, and, and, and see, this is the Messiah. I am he. And then they try to throw him off a cliff, but we're not going to get to that today. He's explicitly telling them he is the fulfillment of these verses. Isaiah writes about the Messiah, that he's going to create a new type of people, a liberated people. And he's going to do this by the way that he ministers to the poor, the captive, the blind, and the oppressed. What Jesus declares in the synagogue of his hometown is that he has been sent. And he's been sent on a mission. And though the people might think that they know him. Isn't that Joseph's boy? Though they might think they know his upbringing, even though they might think they know all the things that that, that he came up in and through, there is more to Jesus here that they currently don't understand. He is not on this earth to serve as a carpenter. He's not on this earth to raise up a a nuclear traditional type of family. He's not on this earth to run for the local school board, though those are all great things to do with your life. Jesus is here to do something different. He's here to do something different. He's here, it says, to set some people free. He's here to heal some folks of some ailments that ain't no cure for. Jesus is sent here 
to overcome some demons that have plagued our society for a really long time. Jesus is sent to seek out and to save the lost people. Let me talk to somebody in this room real quick. Before we can go any further, I need to speak to you specifically real quick. Perhaps you're somebody in here that the very title of this series has already turned you off. You're going to talk to me about being a missionary when I don't even know yet what I feel about this whole faith idea. I don't even know where I'm at with this person, Jesus, that you're talking about. I don't even know how I feel about this room. It's kind of hot. If I just spoke out loud your thoughts, let me say something to you. The only missionary I want you to worry about right now, don't worry about yourself, don't worry about the person next to you. The only missionary I want you to worry about right now is Jesus. Jesus was sent here. You need to know that even though on the outside all appears well with you, Even though on the outside you came here calm, cool, and collected and put together. Nice shirt. I like your shirt. God sees the true turmoil that's going on inside of your life. God knows what brought you here. God knows why you came here. God knows the stuff that went down yesterday. God knows the things that you've been dealing with since you were a little kid. God knows the things that have happened to you. God knows the things that you have caused. God knows those inner demons and struggles that you just can't seem to shake and you've tried everything and he knows. God knows those things. He knows the need that you have for a savior. He knows the need that you have for a cure. He knows the need that you have for an answer. And what I need you to hear this morning is that he has sent you one. He has sent you one. There is richness. There is richness that's found in a relationship with Jesus. There is this thing that happens in a relationship with Jesus that will transform you internally. And as you internally begin to be transformed, you'll begin to notice slowly but surely that your external realities are looking a little different. If you do not know him to be the savior of your life, the hero of your story, the Messiah of your world, if you do not know him to be those things, then let's change that this morning. I need you to know that there was this missionary that walked this earth, sent by God because only he could accomplish what was coming. And that he lived his life in a way that the people that other people looked down on were his favorite people. He loved those people. But he didn't show favoritism. He didn't show exemption to certain people. He went to everybody, to those who found themselves sitting on the highest pedestal, to those that found themselves on the bottom of the hill. And Jesus went to everything in between. And for those who were sick, he made them not sick. For those who couldn't walk, he allowed them to walk. For those who couldn't see, he allowed them to see. For those who didn't know, he let them know. And then because we were just going to keep slipping up, Jesus went to the cross. And he died 
a criminal's death that he absolutely did not deserve but absolutely intentionally accomplished so that way we no longer have to pay the penalty of death that we have rightfully earned. But my friends, the story didn't end there. Three days later, there are eyewitness accounts, men and women alike, that for the next 40 days saw Jesus walking on earth. They saw him walking, and they heard him tell this message that new life has come to all believers. If you're here today and you think the only option is death, you need to know that there is a promise of new life that Jesus brought back. Jesus said new life is possible. Now, I can't physically be with you anymore, and I am sorry about that, but it's going to be better this way. See, I'm going to go up there, and what's going to come down here is this thing called the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who believe, you will feel it. You will experience it. You'll lean into it when you need something internally to change. You'll lean into it every morning when you wake up and every night that you go to bed. You'll lean into this and you'll notice that it's God working through his spirit to change the world around you. That's the promise. It's guaranteed to us. Y'all who know me know I'm extreme. If I don't believe it, I think it's the worst thing. I'm here to tell you today, I'm more convinced than ever. Hallelujah. I'm more convinced than ever. If you have yet to accept this as your reality, then what I want you to do is at the conclusion of my long talking, right? I promise it ain't going to be that long. And when we allow time for response and there's people around the room, I want you to go find somebody to pray with and I want you to tell them that. I want you to tell them that you are ready for Jesus to impact your reality, that you are ready to accept him as savior of your life, and that you are ready to receive this new life because this current life is tough, and it's terrible, and it's, and it's awful, and you have no hope. Or maybe you're hiding behind a facade, and you're ready to come out from behind the facade. You're ready, you're ready to accept who God has made you to be, knowing full well that only God can help you function the way that you were meant to function. Find somebody this morning. Tell them that you're ready to take that step. For those of us, let me talk to the rest of the room now. Come back to me. For those of us who have already accepted this, for the believers in this room who have accepted this as reality, there's something that happens to you when you receive the Holy Spirit and you begin to pursue a spirit-led, spirit-filled life. There's something different that happens to you, and that leads me to the second thing I want to talk about this morning. And that is that, that, that when we are pursuing and living a spirit-filled life on mission, this life on mission will give you what's called holy discontent. See, Jesus had things that burdened his heart. When Jesus got to this earth and he began walking around and he saw the true realities of, of humanity and was able to experience it and like physically touch it and, and hear the voices that are behind it, when he was able to experience all those things, there were certain things that brought Jesus up out of his chair and to immediate action. Those things that he explicitly states in this passage, man, he could have said anything. He could have said a whole lot of things, but the things he specifically mentions... He says, I'm here for the poor. I'm here, guys, because there's some unjust economic situations we got going on. I'm here because I didn't mean 
for it to go down like this. And there's some people that are living low on the hill and catching all the dirt that the people on top of the hill are throwing off. And I don't like that. That makes me mad. And somebody's got to do something about it. I'm here to do something about it. Jesus says the words, blessed are the poor. Jesus says, invite the poor. Jesus says, give to the poor. Jesus says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. That sounds a little different. Jesus says, I'm here for the captive. Jesus says, I'm here for people who are specifically being held right now against their will. Freeing slaves is a pretty common, is a pretty common theme in, in Scripture. You can read it in multiple places. I'm here to free people who are enslaved. I'm here to free people of the damaged, specifically designed repercussions of slavery. I'm here to liberate people from that. I don't like slavery. I don't want that to be a thing, modern day or old time, old school. He desires no one to be left in captivity. He says, I'm here for the blind. I'm here for the people who are disadvantaged or ignored because they have no sight. And Jesus had some incredible moments, some miraculous moments of of healing people from the blind. Jesus says, I'm here for the oppressed. Jesus couldn't stand for anyone or anything to have that much control over another person that it determines their outcome. He couldn't stand for somebody to be held down against their will. He couldn't stand for people to not have their own own free will, if you will. We see it demonically several times when Jesus encounters it he's like nope that's got that's got to go oppression's got to go what is that holy discontent for you what's the thing that when you see it mm. I'm proud that already this place is full of examples of how you live this out I'm proud of that I'm proud that, that Deshaun is following his convictions for quality and accessible health care. That he is going through all that he has gone through to become a nurse practitioner so that he can ultimately one day in whatever way God determines serve this community in a quality way and in an accessible way. I'm proud that Nate has the boldness to do something as crazy as step down from, a, from, a, from an appointed political position from an elected positional position, a spot that people wanted to see him in. And he has the boldness to step down for that because he recognizes his true calling is helping students and helping people on a more personal basis who are transitioning from being captive. I'm proud that we have people like Jordan and Juliana and people like that who are using their skills and passions to help girls transition out of human trafficking. I'm happy that we have people like Leslie who leaves teaching 
and all the wonderful scheduling perks that comes with that to run a year-round after-school program so that our kids in our city have the attention and support that they need. I'm proud of the fact that somebody in here knows that I'm thinking of them, though I can't have the time to say all of them. I'm proud that there's so many of us that are already living this out. So allow me to ask the rest of you, what is that thing? What is that holy discontent? What is that burden in your heart? What is that thing that when you see it, it almost instantly moves you to tears or it almost instantly makes you just like, you know, What's that thing that when you're sitting down relaxing and having a nice calm movie on the TV, but you see it on your timeline on social media, you just got to get up and walk some stuff off. What is that discontent? Because what I need you to know that that is holy, that that is God given, that God has, has given you those things so that you can do something about those things. What is your holy discontent? Now, I believe that Jesus didn't just have in mind these discontents on a big scale. He absolutely speaks out against against, uh, social injustice and things like that. And I believe he absolutely had these things in mind. But I believe that Jesus is also being more, uh, what's the word, micro with it. I believe that he had in mind that on some level, these descriptions apply to just about everyone. The third thing I want us to take away from this text this morning is that there are poor, captive, blind, and oppressed in our lives right now. It's not just people on a TV screen. It's not just people for a cause, raising money. It's not just people in South America or Africa or Asia. There are people that we interact with on a daily basis that are poor or captive or blind or oppressed. There are people who are poor. There are people who are, let me say it this way, there are people who are completely bankrupt because this is what I believe Jesus would define poor as. There are people who are completely bankrupt of the riches of heaven. There are people who are completely, completely denying themselves the right to a beautiful inheritance that not only changes your current reality, but your eternal one as well. There are people who have no hope for the rest of the day because they don't know that there is power and authority that comes with the name of Jesus. There are people that have no idea and no intention of praying to a savior. Can you catch that italicized in my mind word, savior, one who can save There are people who just don't know or who don't accept it. There are people right now who are captive. Paul describes people who are captive. He describes living in sin as being a slave. He says there are people who are so enslaved to their sin, they can barely function in society anymore. And then there are people who are so enslaved to their sin, but they've spent so much time focusing on how they can hide it to the public. There are people in this room right now, I guarantee it, that are slaves in bondage, held down, no longer free because of the sin that they have in their lives. 
There are people in our lives that are completely blind. Jesus uses blindness to describe the Pharisees because they were so staunch. They were so just like stuck up about their specific teaching, about holding so specific closely to something that, that, that they didn't even understand, but would rigidly follow, that they couldn't see right in front of their face. The miracles happening before their very eyes was Jesus. It was the Messiah that they had been claiming they'd been waiting on for, 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 for centuries. A Messiah that their ancestors passed down stories of would be coming. And they were so held up in their ideas of what this had to look like that they couldn't even see the Savior before them. There are people in your life right now that are so caught up in some stuff. They're so caught up in some teachings or some false stuff or some crazy stuff or some philosophies or the stars and the zodiac and the I'm a whatever that they don't even see right in front of them beckoning them home is a savior. There are people who don't even know. My dude. There are people in your life who are oppressed. Let's stop denying it on a big scale, but allow me, to speak, allow me to speak specifically. There are those who have lost control of their own lives. There are those whose outcome is being determined by someone or something else. They're being held down by the tactics of the enemy. Let me be real. When I watch the news or catch up on what's going on, I got to be honest with you, the enemy is killing it right now. He's killing it right now. There are people, there are people right now who are not even in control of their own fate because of the things that they've allowed the enemy to do in their life. I believe that God is infinitely more creative than we are. Infinitely more. I believe that God has designed our lives in such a way to intersect with those who are real-time, everyday, poor, captive, blind, and oppressed. I believe God allowed us to get that job because there's some people in your workplace that fall in this category. I believe that God sent you to that school because there's some people in your school that fall into this category. I believe that you are surrounded by the roommates and the people that you have because there are some people in your life that fall in this category. I believe that for those of us who have chosen to live a spirit-filled life, that he has intentionally sent us to spaces and places where we will come across people who match this description. It is our mission then. It is our expectation then. In those spaces and places to go all out for them, just as we would for those that more obviously on a more global scale match the holy discontent earlier described. Who are the people in your everyday life that need the love and liberation of a savior? Who are the people in your everyday life that need the love and the liberation of a savior? Let me, let me gut punch you one more time. Have you genuinely viewed your position in their life as being a sent ambassador of Christ to them?
If you don't know, here's what, I, here's what we strive for Third Street to be. Third Street strives to be a church of local missionaries. Here's what I mean by that. That we all view ourselves as being sent and we view our everyday living as our mission. The people we see and interact with are the ones we have been sent to serve. That's your answer. I would like to see us be a church that builds up, sends out, and supports missionaries of all kinds. Though I would love this idea that everyone stays in Canton forever, I quietly kind of, kind of accept and remove myself from this illusion that everyone is sent to Canton. And that at some point, some of us, but not a lot, just like a couple, will move on. And it's my hope, it's my prayer that your time as a part of this body has trained and equipped you well for wherever God has you going next. The inauguration of that culture can begin today. Would you join me in viewing your positions in this life as sent ones meant to continue God's mission to unite, renew, and restore this world? Will you call out, out loud with your mouths, the holy discontents you have in your heart and dedicate your life to believing that God will change it? Will you go to the ones in your life that God has allowed you to cross your path so that they may hear the hope of the gospel. Can we start that work today?